Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Hey, uh, in Cedar Rapids, good morning. So, so glad you're joining us as well. We're very, very thankful for you. And I mean, I've been thinking about you this week, praying for you, and super proud of you. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, around here, we receive prayer requests on a regular basis. You've, it's either filled out in the card or, or somebody sends it, you know, digitally to us. And uh, one thing I've noticed is I, week to week, and we have a team here, a prayer team here that prays for these prayer requests on a regular basis, and then our staff as well, on Wednesday mornings, we get together and we pray for these, these prayer requests. But one of the things I've noticed about the, the prayer requests themselves is they, they mostly fall, not all of them, but mostly of the, they fall in three major categories. They fall under the category of anxiety or worry. And so there's a lot of uncertainty right now. We're surrounded by headlines and images that just remind us of how vulnerable we are and so that has raised a lot of worry and anxiety in our culture. And I, I, can, I, I can go into that more, I can talk more about that, but we all know that there's a lot of anxiousness, there's a lot of concern, there's a lot of worry that circles around all kinds of things like our finances, our relationships, and all that kind of stuff, our jobs, and so there's anxiety and worry. Another category would be relational strain. And so as we went through this pandemic, and we're kind of still going through it a little bit, but I think we're on the back end of it, you know? And, but as we went through this pandemic, I mean, clearly what became very obvious is the relational strain that exists, that, that, that started surfacing, you know? Um, marriage struggles, struggles with children, you know? And some of these were, were, you didn't really plan on them, but they just happened because suddenly you were like confined in your house with three little kids and you have to figure out how to get their education done. And... You know, and, and, and you know, just it's, it, there's a lot of relational strain and a lot of struggles along those lines as well. And so things like patience are beginning to, to, to dwindle and people are becoming more angry with one another. And then another category that these prayer requests would be, that, that would be sin struggles. Sin struggles. And I think what is clear in this past year is that um, the things that we've struggled with maybe historically in our life we've struggled with, have just kind of come to the surface, right? There's a lot of tension, it seems like, as you watch the news, as you, as you look around, there's just a lot of tension, and, and that tension has created these, has allowed these sin struggles of ours to start surfacing. Some of these sin struggles you thought you had conquered long ago, but suddenly it just came back again, and, and you, th this addiction is there again, where you thought that was gone, now it's back again, and so this is what we, are, what we see these prayer requests are like, and so what we're doing, we're kicking off this series called Triggered, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at these three different areas that, that I just mentioned, these, these different categories, and um, not, not so much at what triggers, but the fact that we are triggered, and then how do we respond to those triggers? How do we respond when suddenly that sin starts creeping back in again? or I feel anxious, or I feel worried. How do I respond to that? There's no doubt that in our culture today, we are being triggered more than ever before. 
And there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of worries, a lot of marriage and, and, and relational challenges going on in our lives. Sin is surfacing, right? And so how are we going to respond to that? And so what we're going to do is we're going to study some words from the Apostle Paul out of the book of Philippians. And he's going to say some things to us that I don't think we really want to hear, especially now. I don't think we really want to hear these words. He's going to say things like, hey, be content in any and every situation. Like right now, you don't really want to hear that, okay? Because we're very discontent. We're very discontent with what's happening around us. And we don't want somebody to come along and say, hey, you should be content in any and every situation, right? He's going to say things like, have a constant joy and peace no matter what your circumstances are or what they look like. You're like, wait a minute, Paul. Do you even understand? Do you know what our circumstances are? Do you see the, what, what seems like just constant barrage of, of, of media that is telling us how bad our circumstances are? And you're telling us to, be, to have joy, a constant joy and peace? That just doesn't make any sense. Paul, do you even understand? Do you even know what it's like? Paul, do you know what it's like to be cooped up in your house with four little kids under the age of 10 during a quarantine? Do you even have any idea of that? Do you know what it's like when, you, when it feels like your, your value system is constantly being challenged and challenged and challenged in, this, in the world that we live in? Paul, do you even understand anything? And the fact is that Paul does understand. In fact, when he wrote this letter, he was in the middle of a quarantine. Now, he wouldn't have called it a quarantine. He would have, it was actually house arrest. But it's not something he wanted. It's not something he asked for. It's just the reality. He was under house arrest, right? And he was under house arrest for two years of his life. He was chained to a guard, and so not only is he under house arrest, but he's living in this confined space in close quarters with somebody, you know, that he can't get away from. Does that sound familiar to some of you parents, mothers out there, right? You can't get away from that. So Paul, yes, Paul does understand. He understands what quarantine's like. And then on top of that, I mean, it must have been incredibly frustrating for the Apostle Paul because he had a plan, I mean, God called him, and he was on a mission. He knew what he was supposed to do. He knew where he was going to be planting churches. He knew how he was going to develop these churches. He knew how he was going to raise up more, more leaders for these churches. He, he had a plan, and then suddenly the government got involved and began to interfere with his plans. Does that sound familiar, too? So now he's under house arrest. He finds himself living a reality that doesn't at all match up to what he thought it was going to be. And for 700 days, this is, his th this is where he's at. And so he's in this confined space with this person that he can't get away from for 700 days. And then he reaches out to this Philippian church, and this is what he says to them, okay? This is his story, his life. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. <laughs> really? I mean, Paul, it's pretty bad for you. Are you sure? Are you even, th this, must be, this must be pandemic fever that you got or something. I don't know. That you're going to actually say this. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. There's a few words I want, us to I want to draw your attention to. First, I want you to understand that this is a command. Paul says, always be full of joy. 
In the Greek, that's actually directive language. It is a command, all right? Now, my experience is that, and I've discovered that it's hard to command someone to be joyful. Like, you say to somebody, be happy, as soon as you say, be happy, the, the, you know, the walls go up, and like, what are you talking about, right? But I think what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us here when he says, always be full of joy, I think what he's trying to say to you and I is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, joy is not an option. I mean, joy is not an option that you should not have, right? Like, you should have joy. You cannot say, my circumstances say that otherwise, therefore, I don't have to have joy. Paul says, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you must have joy. Joy is not optional. He uses the word always as well. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. And so not, not only is it a command, but it's also meant to be constant. It's not based on your circumstances. It's not a situational joy. It's not whether things are going your way or not going your way. It's not whether the vaccine is effective or not, whether you should have joy or not. It's not based on whether there's an elephant or a donkey in the White House, <laughs> right? Now, I hope you hear that. I intentionally put that in my notes because there's a lot of people without joy right now because I don't know what, what the representation is. I can't remember elephant or donkey, but anyways, yours is not there. Paul doesn't say, because of that, you, it's okay for you not to have joy. Our joy is to be constant. It's a command, right? And then this is really significant because it kind of unlocks how this kind of joy is possible. He uses the word in. Always be full of joy in the Lord. In the Lord. Not in the stock market. Not in your financial portfolio. Not in your job security. Not in your marriage, not in your family, not in your kids, not in your health. Because all of those things, everything I just mentioned, all of that can change. You don't really have control over all of that. You, you think, sometimes I think we, we think that we have control over some of those things. We work really hard at controlling those things. But man, a pandemic strikes and it changes everything. Or you think you have control over your marriage, but you can't really control how your wife feels or how your husband feels. Those things change, but the Lord never changes, and so it's in the Lord that we actually have joy. So instead of being triggered with all of the stuff that's going around us, Paul is telling us, he's calling us to live with this constant joy. He also speaks about peace, so he talks about joy, and he talks about peace in Philippians 4, verses six through seven. He says, don't worry about anything, like, that's really a big statement, right? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have, have worried a few times this week? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand because I, I'm raising my hand because I, I have worried a few times this week. But Paul says, don't worry about anything. <laughs> really, Paul? Is that even possible to not worry about anything? I think what Paul is trying to tell us here is that worry does come, but there's something how we respond to worry. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, in other words, when worry surfaces, replace it with, he says, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And then in verse 7, he says, then, like if you don't worry about anything, if you pray about everything, then you will experience God's peace 
which exceeds everything we can understand. Like, I could try to explain it to you, but I can't. I could try to, try to define what this piece is going to look like, but honestly, there's just no, there's no conceptual way that I can explain it to you that you would fully get the kind of peace that God gives you and I in the middle of trouble, in the middle of difficult circumstances, right? And then he gives us his promise. He says, he, his peace, okay, that peace that I cannot explain, a peace that doesn't come because, of, because my, my portfolio is doing well, a peace that doesn't come because my family is all intact, a peace that doesn't come because my job is secure, his peace, a peace that he gives when my job is not secure, when my family is not intact, when my portfolio is going in the wrong direction, that peace, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Paul says you can have a joy and a peace that is constant. <clears throat> it's not determined by what happens or what doesn't happen. It's not determined by things going your way or not going your way. <clears throat> Excuse me. So a couple of things I want us to see in, in, in the life of Paul is um, this kind of joy and peace, Paul says it comes to us when we pray. Like there's a, there's a condition here. You know, you, 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 you have to, you, can, you could, you could, you could potentially sit in your worry and never have peace, never have joy. You could. But there's a way for you to have peace and it starts when you pray. In verse six he says, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Do you do that? I know me. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you how I deal sometimes with, with struggles and challenges. When things don't go my way, I immediately get into gear and try to figure out how can I fix this? What do I have to do to change? Change this or change that? You know, how can I convince them differently? My wife tells me all the time, says, hey, I just want you to listen. I don't want you to fix it. I'm a fixer. I want to fix things. And I don't often do a very good job at fixing things. Paul is telling us that we can have this constant joy. We can have this constant peace, but it starts when we pray about everything. And then he gives us uh, kind of two kinds of prayers. He, prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of supplication. He says, tell God what you need. So you're telling him, you're, you're asking for something. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. I think this is really important because he doesn't just say pray about everything. That's not what he said. He says pray about everything and this is how you pray about everything. Ask him for what you need and thank him for what he has done. He gives us kind of a formula on how to, to you know, to actually live in a, in a state of joy and peace. And it's important because I think sometimes the way we pray um, actually kind of creates more anxiety sometimes. I don't know about you, I've done this before where I go to prayer, I have a very, very pressing need, a very heavy situation that I gotta deal with or whatever, maybe something related to my kids or whatever, and I go to God to prayer, and what I'm doing is I'm going to God to prayer, but what I'm doing is I'm basically telling God how bad everything is. I mean, it's just, it's just terrible, and it's worse, and it's terrible, and then I spend you know, 30 minutes doing that, and I leave, and I'm like, man, I feel more anxious than I did before I started praying. Tell him what you need 
and thank him for what he's done, Paul says, right? So I don't know if you've ever done that before, but I know I have. And so being thankful has a way of giving you perspective. It helps you see the goodness of God in the midst of difficulty, right? And I think sometimes anxiety blinds us to his blessings. Anxiety has us focus on the problem. And so just stop for a second. Let me ask you, this past week, there's been challenges in your life. Have you been focusing on the challenges? Or have you been focusing on the God who dissolves the challenges? Anxiety has a way of causing this to happen in us. So Thanksgiving helps us focus on what's positive, helps us focus on who God says he is. So Paul tells you, if you want to have this joy, pray and ask him for what you need and thank him for what we need to be intentional and purposeful in praying with thanksgiving. So how did Paul do that? Well, I mean, okay, Paul, fine. I I need to pray with thanksgiving. Yes, I need to pray with supplication. How did you do that? Well, the entire letter to the Philippians is actually one big, great big thank you note. It's Paul thanking God for them. Thanking them for being who they are. In fact, he kicks it off right there in verse 3, chapter 1. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time I remember you as a church, I thank God, he's, he's saying. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. This is Paul. He's talking to this church. And he says, I thank my God every time I, I remember you. So Paul is under house arrest. He's in in this situation for two years, and he says he's always praying with joy and thanksgiving for them. Isn't that interesting? I mean, when I think about it, it's just like, I mean, I think a lot of us can understand how hard this would have been for him, right? He's separated from his friends. He hasn't been around. He doesn't know exactly how they're doing. It's not really his choice. It'd be easy for him to be discouraged and, and, and depressed and frustrated that he can't get to see them. It'd be easy for him to feel anxious and worried about how they're doing, but instead, he says, he prays with thanksgiving for them. And I have to tell you, these verses, I've known these verses all all my Christian life. Philippians is one of the first books I got into when I became a Christian, and it really spoke to me, and I identified with it, and I memorized big portions of it. And I've known these verses for a long time. But these verses have become really dear to me in these last two years. As we've navigated a pandemic, as we've, you know, endured political turmoil, my heart has gone out to so many of you that I haven't been able to see. And I have to be honest, there's a lot of times where instead of praying with Thanksgiving, I was going to God, God, are they okay? Are they struggling? Are Are they in victory through this situation or is this pandemic is this political situation making them a casualty of war and so when Paul says I thank my God every time I remember you I thank my God every time I remember you this has been a tough season and my heart has gone out to you and I love you And I care about you, and I care that you're surviving and that you're making it. And so I think Paul is trying to speak to us along those lines. He expresses to them his thanksgiving. And then he goes down to verses 12 and 14 through 14. He's going to help them with with a perspective on his own situation. 
Like he's writing this letter to them and, and they're reading this letter and they know he's under house arrest and he's, this is a situation he's going to be in for two years and he knows that, that they're probably worried for him but he wants to give them perspective. He wants to let them know um, how he's facing these challenges that he's facing, right? And, and this is the perspective that he has. You just, let's read it there in Philippians 1, 12 to 14. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. We're going to get back to that in a second. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. And this is as a result of this quarantine, as a result of, of this house arrest, he says, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see what Paul is doing here? He's saying that because of these chains that are so restrictive, so con confining, it's not what I wanted. It's not what I planned for. I mean, this could have created a lot of anxiety, but he says, but because of these chains, people are growing in their faith. People are being more courageous. I mean, he could have approached this completely different way. He could have looked at his chains and he could have said, this isn't fair. I'm a Roman citizen. You shouldn't be doing it. I have rights. Have we heard that lately? Of course we have. And he could have fought for his rights. He could have said the government shouldn't be interfering with my plans. Like I had plans. God gave me plans for planting the church and now they're interfering. But instead, he, he changes the perspective a little bit. And he says, right now, one guard after another gets to hear the gospel. And it's because of these chains. Let me make it more contextual for us because none of us here are in chains. It's because of this pandemic. It's because of this terrible racism that we're experiencing in our country. It's because of the political divisiveness that's happening. God, the gospel is being advanced. I just want you to picture this scene. Like Paul is chained to this, to this guard. And I think if any of us were chained to a guard, here's what we would do. I would look at the shackle on my hand. I would look at that and I would say, this is not fair. That's how I would respond to a shackle on my hand. This is wrong. Why am I chained? Because of the gospel, I'm chained. Are you serious? I have rights. But that's not what Paul does. Paul doesn't look at his hand shackled. He looks at the sh shackle on the guard's hand instead. And he says, oh, what an opportunity. <laughs> that guy can't go anywhere. <laughs> Guess what? I get to share the gospel with him. I get, to, I get to help him understand that I am in chains because of the gospel. And what you see here is he begins to reframe, he begins to reframe his circumstances. Don't let CNN... Fox News, MSNBC, or whatever other news outlet you listen to or watch or read, don't let that frame your circumstances. It's too easy to let that happen. And suddenly you find yourself with your fist up in the air saying, this is not fair, this is not right. And really what Paul is saying, look, 
This is an opportunity for the gospel. He says, what's happened to me has actually served to further the gospel. And here's what I want us to do, actually. Here's a, a, a statement here. We're going to put it up. What has happened to me has actually blank. What has happened to me has actually blank, okay? Paul says, what has happened to me has actually helped further the gospel. So as we've gone through a pandemic, as you've gone through just the craziness of our political world right now, and it just seems to continue, as you navigate all the issues that you might be, whether it's national, global, or whether it's personal, individual, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your finances, whether it's your job situation, whatever it is, as you're navigating all of that, how are you reframing it? How are you seeing it the way God wants you to see it? And just fill in the blank. What has happened to me has actually done what? Let me give you some options here. What has happened to me has actually brought our family closer together. Can any of you say that about this pandemic? Has actually brought our family closer together. What's happened to me has, actually, has helped me realize that my life was out of balance and I needed to make some changes. What's happened to me has given me opportunity to have some very important conversations. Uh, if, if this wouldn't have happened to me, I would have never had these conversations. What's happened to me has actually put into perspective some things that I really care about. After doing without for some time, I realized there are some things in my life that are actually very, very important, and there are a lot of things in my life that are not that important. Why am I spending so much effort and energy in those things? And so what has happened to me has helped me understand that. What has happened to me has helped me give some much-needed attention to my spiritual life. I've heard this over and over and over again in this past year, where individuals have said, yeah, man, I just... For, it started out with just chaos, like falling apart, and then they found themselves looking towards God, and they realized that God really has a plan for their life, and they started reprioritizing some things in their life. And so they would say, what's happened to me has helped me give some much-needed attention to my spiritual life. What's happened to me, I think all of us could probably say this, what's happened to me has helped me be more grateful for some things that I've taken for granted for way too long. Reframe your circumstance. When you're struggling, when you're challenged, when you don't understand what's going on in the media, reframe it. So Paul says, pray about everything. And then secondly, he says in verse 8, he says, think about good things. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, I can get into all that stuff, but I'm not going to. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, here's a command. Think about those things. Paul's talking to us about controlling our thoughts because wrong thinking often leads to wrong feelings, which often leads to wrong actions. So whatever you think about in your mind is going to express, be expressed in your feelings. So if you're looking at everything around you and you're saying to yourself, here's what I'm missing out on. This isn't fair. This isn't wrong. Guess what? That's, what you're, that's how you're going to live. That's going to be your reality. In fact, Proverbs 23, 7 just tells us, simply puts it this way. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So Paul talks about basically capturing those thoughts. So take a few minutes to think about what you think about. Think about what you think about. Do you spend your entire day worrying about your children, for example? 
your thoughts rolling, spinning out of control. You spend your entire day thinking about your financial situation and how can it be better and what can you do and you're just, it's just spiraling out of control. That's all you're thinking about. Maybe, you're, maybe, maybe there's some headlines in your head that's telling you things like, hey, life isn't supposed to be this hard. And you keep saying that to yourself. Life isn't supposed to be this hard. Life isn't supposed to be this hard. Life isn't supposed to be this hard. Next thing you know, you're feeling angry and bitter and resentful. And then somebody says, why are they so angry? Why are they so bitter? Because <laughs> your thoughts are spiraling out of control. Or maybe, maybe the headline in your hand is this pandemic is so bad, we will never recover from it. We'll have to wear a mask for the rest of our lives. This pandemic is so bad, this pandemic is so bad, this pandemic is so bad, that's the thought process. This pandemic is so bad, this pandemic is so bad, this pandemic is so bad, that next thing you know, there's fear beginning to creep in. And before long, you're just, you're just terrified. So just stop that thought and think about the headlines in your head. Stop that thought and then listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. He says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Now, that, this language that Paul's using here in this verse is wrestling language. He's like saying, take that thought and pin it to the ground, pin it to the mat. So when your thought's running through your head, I'm going to die of COVID, I'm going to die of COVID, I'm going to die of COVID. He says, take that thought and pin it to the mat. There's a, a lady by the name of Jenny Allen. She's the founder of the If Gathering. And she wrote a book called Get Out of Your Head. The sub, subtitle of the book is Stopping the Spiral of Toxic Thoughts. <clears throat> she says that every, the average human has anywhere between 9,000 and 60,000 thoughts in a single day. Now, I don't know. That's a pretty wide gap, 9,000, 60,000. So I don't understand why it's such a wide gap. But even 9,000, that's a lot of thoughts. 60,000 is really a lot of thoughts. And so 60,000 for some of you, wild, chaotic thoughts in a day. And these thoughts begin to spiral out of control oftentimes. You start thinking about one thing that's negative, and then that starts building on it and building on it and building on it. Before long, you've already convinced yourself that the end result of that conversation you had is now just divorce. Or, or, or you know, your, your child's going to go you know, do some crazy stuff. And it's just... just thought process. It just keeps spinning out of control. And what she says is, in her book, she talks about this, and she says, you, what we need is an interrupter to our thoughts. Something that will stop the thought process of spiraling out of control. And what she says in her book is that truth is the best interrupter. Truth is the best interrupter. The worship team, I think, is going to be coming up here in a second. Are they? Are they up here? <laughs> there we go. All right. Truth is the best interrupter, is what she says. And so what I want to do is I want to speak some truth to some of you, and it's particularly if your mind is spiraling out of control. I want to speak some truth to you. These are, these are things that are true. What is true is that God's grace is sufficient for you. Like you might feel like there's no hope. You might feel like it's the... The, 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 the mistake, the challenge, the, 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 the sin, is just, there's just no hope for me. 
But you need to understand something. And don't let your mind run with that, with that spiraling thought. Instead, tell yourself this truth. God's grace is sufficient for you. His grace is enough to get you through everything that you're going through and everything you're being challenged with. Another truth is what is true is that God cares about you. I can't tell you, I can't tell you how often I have this conversation in my office when we start talking, I, I come, come to this place. In fact, this week I had this conversation with somebody where we come to this place and I recognize that they really don't believe that God cares for them. That somehow or another God has isolated them, pinpointed them and said, I don't really care for you. But the truth is that God cares for you. And because he cares, you can cast all of your burdens upon him. What's true is that God redeems all things. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so if you've experienced loss this past year, if a relationship has been broken because of a pandemic, if you've lost a job, if... um, if, if a relationship has been broken because of the political stuff that we're going through, God is the redeemer. He redeems all things. What is true is that God has gone before us and none of this has caught him off guard. He is the God who levels the mountain and makes it into a pathway. And so if you feel isolated and lonely and lost and you think that there's just no way, you just need to know that God has gone before you. God has gone before you. What is true is that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's with you every step of the way. 